in chapter 3, where it's quoting from Psalm um, 95, where he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as those that did in the wilderness. And so today, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing, Speak, O Lord, that we would consider Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith today as we hear his voice. Speak, O Lord. Filled with your glory. 
You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Glad to be here to worship the living God with you. We're going to just jump right on into it. <clears throat> Ask that you would stand with me. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 10 to 18. Standing firm in the Lord. Standing firm in the Lord. Let's pray first. Father, we just ask that you would speak to us. That you would plant your word deep in us. That you would cause it to bear fruit. That you would teach us reverence, humility. Lord, we ask these things in the powerful name. The name above all names. The name of Jesus Christ. And for his glory. Amen. This is what God says today. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. It's the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we have been studying this last section of Ephesians, we've been producing a biblical definition of spiritual warfare. The definition has been growing uh, in clarity. Um, I, I look at things and I write in and I write again and can it be clearer? And uh, I remember Alistair Begg talking about his sermon preparation and he writes out his sermons and he says, write yourself clear. So that's what I've been attempting to do. Spiritual warfare is this. It is the Christian's duty of putting to death that what is earthly in them by the strength and might of the Lord through the word of Christ dwelling richly in them through which the Holy Spirit empowers the Christian to believe and understand God's holy word so that it can be obeyed. So that it can be obeyed. We have seen that spiritual warfare is not a rebuking the devil in Jesus' name. It's not even, spiritual warfare is not even, not even living in a right manner because works of the flesh do not make one holy. If you remember, the Pharisees had the outside right, but they had the inside wrong. 
Spiritual warfare is putting to death that which is earthly in us. It is the battle against indwelling sin. The devil's tactic is to deceive you and I to believe that our way is better than God's. And he always baits us according to our desires. As the Puritan Thomas Adams states, Satan, like a fisherman, baits the hook according to the appetite of the fish. And when we have taken the bait, we learn that the devil then seeks to deceive us about God's eternal declaration concerning his blood-brought children. So we've taken the bait, we've sinned against God, we've fallen short of God's glory. And then Satan, one of his schemes is to tell us that we are not a saint, that we are not faithful, and that we are not in Christ. We were reminded that we can only do battle against the schemes of the devil and the strength that God provides. Brian Chappell in his commentary writes this, the in the Lord phrase is Paul's common way of referring to our relationship with God made possible through our union with Christ. We are in Him, covered by His blood, robed in His righteousness, members of His household, sons and daughters, in union with Him, beloved. We may dread the exposure of our weaknesses in our battle against sin, but the apostle reminds us that the strength of our relationship with our God is provided by Christ. Because we are in Him, we have access to power that is greater than we. It's greater than us. We saw that God is the one who provides all the strength that we need to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Remember what the schemes of the devil are. The word schemes, methodia, his method, crafty scheming with the intent to deceive. And we're given the strength, we're told to be strong in the Lord. Remember the word be strong, to make someone able to give capability to, to enable, to strengthen, to empower. We're to be strong in the Lord's might. The word might is coast, capability, and strength. Remember that we learned that verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6 can literally be translated this way. Finally, be strengthened in God's enabling might. Boy, doesn't that take the pressure off? Doesn't that take the pressure off? That I can't pull myself up by the bootstraps. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can't clean yourself off. I can't clean myself off. Only God can. God gives us the strength to be able to do it. But in order to be strengthened in God's enabling might, we are, there is responsibility in our part. Just as we can't say the devil made me do it and blame the devil, we can't say, well, God does it all. Well, God does do it all. But he does it all by strengthening you and I to do something. He calls us to action. And what is our job is to put on the whole armor of God. Look at what it says in verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Whole armor. Not one piece is to be missing that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The word, the word put on, NDO, means to dress oneself, to put on clothes. The Apostle Paul uses that, 
that idea over and over again. Put off and put on. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Get rid of this. Take this off. Put this on. Christians are to dress themselves with the whole armor of God, with the strength that God provides. God strengthens us, gives us strength to be able to put on His own strength. Spiritual warfare is done in the strength of the Lord. And since it's done in the strength of the Lord, and it's the Lord's strength, have you ever wondered why does Paul then say that we may be able to stand? Hmm? Doesn't, doesn't that word, doesn't, don't those words leave the possibility that you may not be able to stand? When all along we're told it's the Lord's strength and who can defeat the Lord, we sang the song, who can defeat the Lord? Who lights the fire of a thousand burning suns? Who can defeat God? And if it's God's strength, how is it that we may be able to stand? Well, most of you know me by now, I'm playing devil's advocate on, a pur- on purpose. Look at what it says in verses 10 and 11 again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Whenever there is a question about what God means in a particular verse or there seems to be a contradiction, go to the verbs of Scripture. Go to the verbs of Scripture. And when you go to the verbs of Scripture, you will find clarity and you will see that Scripture does not in any way ever contradict itself. It's impossible. God is never a house divided against Himself. Look again what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able. There's the verb to stand against the schemes of the devil, may be able. Dynamai, from which we get our word dynamos, dynamite, power. It literally means can, be able, and capable. We are fully capable to stand against the schemes of the devil, but we won't be able to stand if we never put the armor on. What Paul is saying is if you put the armor on, you will stand. You will stand. You and I will stand in the strength of the Lord. Christians are able to stand and be victorious against the schemes of the devil only in the strength of the Lord. When we fail in battle, when sin comes, it's because we are probably fighting the wrong enemy and we are fighting in our own strength. What do I mean by that? Well, when conflict comes, when suffering comes, when strife comes, when the bad diagnosis comes, when hardship comes, we must look to where the battle is really raging. It actually rages in our hearts and in our minds. The human heart and mind are where spiritual warfare is fought. Paul emphasizes for us the fact that warfare is not against people. Look at what it says in verse 12. For we do not, do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So in other words, there's a problem, there's conflict. I'm dealing with a flesh and blood person, but the issue is actually spiritual. 
The issue at its core is a spiritual issue. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The word Paul uses to describe spiritual warfare is wrestle, which literally means hand-to-hand combat. Wrestle is pele, to struggle, to fight, hand-to-hand combat. We are not to have hand-to-hand combat with each other. That's only in self-defense. Paul uses wrestling to show how intense and personal spiritual warfare really is. My sons wrestled in high school. It is intensely personal, a wrestling match, because it is you and one other person out there. That's it. It's not a team. It's you and the other person. It's intensely personal. Our warfare is against unseen forces, the Scripture tells us. Look at what it says again in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Against the rulers is the first thing he says. Now we take that to mean those in Washington, those in Trenton. No, look at what the word means. The word rulers is archaic. It means a supernatural power having some particular role in controlling the destiny and activities of human beings. Power, authority, lordship, ruler, wicked force. The word authorities is the second thing that Paul says. Exousia. You know what it means? A supernatural power having some particular role in controlling the destiny and activity of human beings. Power, authority, lordship, ruler, wicked force. Or cosmic powers is the third of which Paul says that we wrestle against. Cosmocrator, a supernatural power having some particular role in controlling the destinies and activities of human beings, means power, authority, lordship, ruler, wicked force. They're all the same thing. They're all the same thing. And Scripture tells us not only here, but it also tells us in the book of Daniel, that there are supernatural evil forces apparently in a hierarchical order, ruling over this present world, this present evil world. That's again, that's what he says. Look again at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is not new to us. Paul had already told the church in Ephesus that this was the case back in chapter 2. Where in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he writes this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul says the reason that some do not come to faith is because of the God of this world. It's a spiritual force, 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, 
The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus said the same thing in the parable of the seeds. The ones that went on a hard ground, it says that Satan came in and took away the word of God. We know that there are evil spiritual forces that are controlling this world, have dominion over this world, because the devil, when he came to tempt Jesus, said this in Matthew 4, 8, 9, And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus did not say they're not yours. Jesus did not deny that here, on some level, the devil told the truth. While God in His providence and wisdom has granted them this authority, they do nothing outside of His allowing it. Job teaches us that truth. Though strong, they are a defeated foe. And just by way of caution, getting caught up in spiritual forces in the heavenly realms is precisely the kind of thing the devil would love to sidetrack us with. Ooh, what are these? No. Don't be preoccupied with spiritual forces, evil spiritual forces. Be preoccupied with Jesus Christ. Be preoccupied with the Word of God. And it might sound good. Well, I want to know what Scripture says. Listen, all we know is what God told us. Delve no further than what God tells us. But they are a defeated foe. They were defeated at the cross. Colossians 2.15 tells us this. He, that is Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them the open shame by triumphing over them in him in his own self at the cross, and at the resurrection. The child of God is able to stand excuse me, against the schemes of the devil because he and his hordes cannot stand against God's resurrection power towards those who believe. In resurrection power, we are able to withstand the schemes of the devil, of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what it says in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Withstand. Anthesemi. Resist, oppose, rebel, set oneself against. Set oneself against. Do you set yourself against the spiritual forces of evil? When are we to do it? So that we can stand firm in the evil day. You know, the evil day is not when temptation comes. The evil day is every day that we live. We were already told that. He told us that in chapter 5, verse 6. Verse 16, I'm sorry, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So every day we are to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand against the spiritual forces of evil. 
See, the Christian is constantly engaged in spiritual warfare. That's why we are told that whatever we do, we should do to the glory of God. Whatever you do is to be done to the glory of God. That is spiritual warfare. In our men's uh, retreat this year, the speaker was just fantastic. He told us this truth. You cannot sin to the glory of God. You can only be obedient to the glory of God. You want to glorify God in all that you do? Then be obedient to God. And the Christian is empowered to be able to be obedient and thus victorious in spiritual warfare when he or she is dressed in God's armor, the whole armor of God. The purpose of spiritual warfare, I believe, is for the believer's personal sanctification and so that Christ's church is purified. Christ is when He comes. He's not looking for individuals. He's looking for a church, which consists of individuals, but He's coming for a purified bride, a pure bride. You and I engaging in spiritual warfare is so that we put to death the sin that is dwelling in us and that we are purified in Christ. That's the purpose of spiritual warfare, I believe. This is exactly what Paul told the Ephesian elders when he left them. We read about it in Acts chapter 20. He said that destruction is going to come from within. And so we need to be diligent in what we teach and what we believe, which is part of spiritual warfare, so that the devil's schemes, subtle as they are because he comes as an angel of light, does not actually destroy. We are always going to be destroyed within. History has proven that nations are destroyed from within. Rome fell from within, and it sure looks like the United States of America is going to be destroyed from within. Look at what Paul said. He says this to the Ephesian elders. He says in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 30, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, from you elders, from you people in the church, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. We always need to be on guard. See, the forces of evil and our own sinful nature are contrary to what God desires. We must, as God's children, strive to be always dressed for battle. The battleground of spiritual warfare for the Christian begins in his or her heart and mind. The armor of God is not an outward wearing, it's an inward wearing. It is to have the mind of Christ. Have this mind in you that was in Christ, Philippians 2.5. We are to have the mind of Christ because we actually do have the mind of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 2.16. And we are sanctified in truth, as Jesus prayed for us in John 17.17. 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We are to stand, we are able to stand firm in the evil day. And after having done everything that we can do to stand, when we seem we're getting weary and weak and we can't seem to fight anymore, 
We need to continue to stand firm in what God has empowered us with. Look again what it says in verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm, histeme. To stand fast against an enemy as opposed to fuego, which means to flee or fugitive, as opposed to run away. It means to stand your ground no matter what. And therefore, it only makes sense that truth is the starting point of spiritual warfare. Truth is the starting point of spiritual warfare. Look what it says in verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We have here a copy, which I was the model for, by the way. Um, the breastplate, right? This would actually be separated. The real belt of truth in a Roman soldier would be separate. The breastplate would be attached to the belt. The sword would be attached to the belt, right? The belt of truth ties everything together. It is the anchoring point. What kind of truth is it that we are to have on? Whenever we're tempted, whenever conflict comes, whenever suffering comes, the best question to ask is what is true about the situation? What is true? Pilate famously asked, what is truth? Truth was standing right in front of him. And he failed to recognize it. Pilate will stand before truth one day. I wonder what his expression is going to be when he says he failed to recognize. He failed to recognize. What is truth? The truth that is spoken of here is, first of all, what is true about God? The truth that we are to be anchored with is the truth of God. What is true about God? What does God's Word say about God? Where should we go to understand who God is? Come on, church, don't let me down. Don't say the Bible. That's the Sunday school answer. We know the Bible. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, right? It's not on the screen, but it should be, right? The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and a God who keeps covenants. He is a faithful God. That's the starting point. Who is God in this situation? Well, He's the same God before the situation started. He's going to be the same God after the situation started because I, the Lord God, do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. The starting point of truth is who is God? God is the all-powerful one. God is the one who has shed His love abroad in my heart. Who is God? That's the first truth. The second truth is what does God declare about me, His child? That's the breastplate of righteousness. That God has declared you and I as His children that we are righteous. We are blameless 
before a holy God because of the blood of Christ on our behalf. He makes us righteous. The scripture tells us this, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you're tempted to sin. You're tempted to go against God. What, do you, what should you say? No, God is true. God has said that I am his child, therefore I am righteous. And because I am righteous, I am not going to go down the road of sin because that would make me unrighteous. But thanks be to God, if I do sin, what does the scripture tell us? That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin, to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all mistakes, from all unrighteousness. So even in my asking, my true asking and my true repenting, I'm made right again. You and I are made right. Truth, who God is, what God has declared about me. The second thing is, that we are to walk in truth, we are to do right in God's eyes, and we are, seek, we are to seek to bring peace. And having as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. And you can see my son's fine Nikes right here. I don't think the Romans wore Nikes. I bet you they did call them Nikes, though, because Nike is the Greek word for victory. See, but it's not necessarily just bringing peace to a situation. That's what we believe it is. That's certainly part of it. But it's actually, again, what's true? Who God is, what God has declared about me, and what has God made between me and Him? God has made peace between me and God. God is the God who brings peace. It means peace with God and peace with others. Ephesians 2.14, he himself is our peace. And because God is true and God has declared me righteous and now I am at peace with God, there is no hostility between me and God. Why would I go and now take away the peace that God has given to me? Why would I wreck the peace that God has given to me? It's a peace that anchors my soul. And if I am at peace with God, I am therefore to bring that peace to others, right? Within a given situation, there's conflict, there's suffering, there's whatever. Bring peace. As 1 Thessalonians 5.13 says, be at peace among yourselves. This is particularly within the church. We should not be at each other's throats. We should not be ignoring one another. I'm just ticked off at that person, so therefore I don't talk to that person. I don't like that person. They just annoy me to no end. Please be at peace with me. I'll be at peace with you. Because guess what? I know I annoy you. And guess what? Sometimes you annoy me. We're people. That's what happens. But be at peace with one another. God has made peace. And having your feet... Ready with peace. Walk in the peace of God. If I'm walking with the peace of God and everything's good, therefore I have no need or desire to go my own way to something that I think might be better because it actually won't be better. Because God's peace is more than enough. So when a Christian believes 
Well, next is the shield of faith. Faith is more than believing that God exists. Even the demons do that, James tells us, and they shudder. It is faith in God himself. And what God declares about his children, and thereby extinguishing the lies of the evil one. Here's a, a copy of a Roman shield. To be honest, it's a poor copy. Because an actual Roman shield of battle, there's display shields, right? Ceremonial shields. And then there's the battle shield. The real battle shield would probably be almost five to six feet tall, right? They would get down behind the enemy like this. Oftentimes, they were hard leather covered with cloth that was soaked in water so that actually they would actually shoot flaming arrows at one another, right? You know you guys got a wooden shield. Well, let's set it on fire. Well, it's soaked in water. It should extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith. Put it on. Hold it up. Stand behind it. In which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In other words, you're going to be tested into what do you really believe about God? Do I really believe what God says in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7? Do I actually really believe it? Or am I just a practical atheist? When it comes down to the battle, am I just a practical atheist? Because I can say it, but I don't act it out. Do I really believe what God says? Do I really believe that God has empowered me to respond in a way that honors Him? With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. As John says in his epistle in 1 John 5, 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our belief. John would later in Revelation say this, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That is our faith. Faith is so much more than intellectual assent. It's when a Christian believes who God is and what he declares about them, that they are secure in their salvation and are able to stand on what God says. And verse 16 says this, and take up the helmet of salvation. This helmet, right? The helmet of salvation. I put it on. What does the helmet protect? Your head. What's inside your head? Don't say nothing. Your brain, your mind. The mind. Be transformed in your minds. Have this mind in you. God has said, I have saved you. I have put on you my everlasting love. I have never forsaken you, never will. I have stretched out my arms. I have engraved you on my palms. And you're going to let the devil and his schemes or others come and tell you that that is not true? Wear salvation as a helmet. It is as sure as you and I are today. Even more sure, actually. Because God has made an eternal declaration concerning His children that they are mine forever. 
that they are in my hand. No one will pluck them out of it. The question is, do I believe that? Do I believe that? Do I believe that God has forsaken me? Can we have moments and times in which we feel God is far off and forsaken? The Psalms are full of it. But what does the psalmist, whenever the psalmist goes to God, why are you far off? Read the rest of the psalm. Where does he come back to? No, you're not. Man, my thoughts were off. As we learned last week, as for me, my feet, I almost slipped. Asaph, the worship leader, said, I I almost got this wrong. When did I get it right? When I put my mind back in Scripture. When I sat before God and said, what does God say? What is true? about God and what he said. Oh, now I got it. Now I got it. Now I'm back in right standing. Wear salvation as a helmet. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And of course, we get all the great ideas of fighting and wielding our sword, and we're going to be out there in battle, and we're going to, you know, come on, Satan, and I'm going to give it to you. Wrong. Paul was using the Roman sword, the two-edged sword, The Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. But where does the Word of God pierce? The thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is first for us. What is true? What has God declared about me? What do I stand in the salvation of God? Do I stand in the peace of God? Do I stand in the Word of God? And when conflict comes and there's trials with people, it is also that same Word of God which we use to pierce the thoughts and hearts of them. Because whenever there's conflict, whenever there's you and I have trouble with somebody, either both or one are spiritually not where they should be. And we want to seek to bring back the spiritual order. And the physical order will, will follow after that. It's an invisible spiritual war. It's not a war of flesh and blood. And therefore, the armor of God is the only way in which we will fight. It's the only way in which we can win. And though we often don't consider it as part of the armor, prayer is perhaps the most important weapon that we have. You ever seen a picture of the armor of God and prayer is attached to it? I've never seen one in my entire Christian life. We have the breastplate of righteousness, right? We have the belt of truth, the breastplate, we have the shield, we have the helmet, we have the feet, we have the sword. That's it, I'm good. (laughs) I need prayer. Prayer. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples when they could not cast a demon out of a man. And Jesus said first, how long am I going to put up with you? You generation, you have no faith. But he went on to tell the disciples this. This kind, this is in Matthew chapter 17, This kind comes out only through prayer and fasting. Prayer 
is to the Christian and what air is to the human. The praying of which Paul speaks of here is not just a quick general prayer of bless my day, bless so-and-so, and please do such and such. How often is that our devotion time? The type of praying that Paul is speaking of here is specific and intense prayer because it is prayer in the Spirit. All prayer should be in the Spirit. Look at what it says in verse 18. And praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Keep alert. Argrinepo, to be alert, keep awake, be on guard. That's exactly what Jesus told the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he told Peter, James, and John, actually. Where he asked them, come, you know, come over here and pray with me. Just sit and pray with me. Of all the things that Jesus needed that night, he asked that they would pray with him. Think about that. He knew what he was facing. He was going to go pray. And his prayer with the Father was more than sufficient. But it said, man, wouldn't it be great if I had my brothers praying with me? And they couldn't even do that. And Jesus said, you know what? Watch and pray, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Spiritual warfare first begins in our own hearts. And so when conflict or suffering comes, the first response of the Christian should be to ask what God wants me to learn about Him, about myself, and what God wants me to put into practice about what I profess about God. How does God want me to respond to this person or this situation? And sometimes it's far better to go off and pray before we respond. Sam and Debbie Wood have a great tool. I should put it into practice more because I'm usually the the problem. It says if there's tension in your marriage, because you should stop, grab your spouse's hand, look at each other in the eye and say, I love you, let's pray. You know, you're really... I love you, let's pray. Well, doesn't that put an end to everything? Actually, that would probably just tick me off because you stopped me from being angry. Right? If we're going to be honest, prayer just puts us back in perspective, sets our minds in the right place, brings us back to, and what do we pray? God, what's true? God, what have you declared? God, how are we to be peaceful in this situation? God, what does your word command us to do? You see how it all fits? Isn't God so logical? That's completely logical. We should ask, how can I bring the gospel, which is more than just Jesus loves you? What does God say to this? So it may be that in a situation, we got to bring correction from God's word to a situation. Hey, you know, God says this. You're doing this, but God says this. How can, I help, how can we help you get back on track with God? That's, that's, there's a book I would encourage you to read. It's The War of Words by Paul Tripp. 
Spiritual warfare is a continual battle of the believer till they are home in heaven. It's a battle of putting off the old self, which is corrupt and deceitful. As Paul said earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.22, to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And we are to not only put off, we're to be renewed in the spirits of our minds to put on the new self, as he says in 4.22 to 24. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self, created after likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And when we seek to do this, when we seek to do it in the strength that God provides, that God alone provides, and we seek to put on the armor of God, we will give the devil no opportunity. We'll give the devil no foothold. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's fight in such a way that we give the devil no opportunity and we give all glory and honor to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the armor of which you dress us. Thank you for the absolute security and certainty which is ours in Christ Jesus, the power that is ours in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, as we see the days becoming more and more evil, that we would be more and more dressed and ready. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song. God is able. Let's sing to him. God is able. He will never fail. He is almighty God. Greater than all we see. Greater than all we ask. He has done Defeated the grave, raised to life, our God is able, in His name we overcome, for the Lord our God is able. with us.
Amen. Our God is able. God bless you all.